Welcome to Love Chats with Catalyst, a pop culture relationship podcast exploring love in the 21st century with your hosts, Alyssa, Ivy, Sarah, and Sawyer. And we are the prevention and outreach team at Catalyst Domestic Violence Services. So I am super stoked for the movie we're talking about today. Um, it's very near and dear to my heart. Um, it was a big part of my childhood. 10 Things I Hate About You. We thought it'd be fun to do a throwback film and it would have been Heath Ledger's 42nd birthday this month, month of April. So we thought it would be sweet to do that in honor of his birthday. So if you haven't seen the movie for a while, if you're brand new to it, um, spoiler alert, we're going to give you a little bit of a background on what the movie's about and what happens. So our cast of characters, we're going to start with Cameron, who's played by Joseph Gordon-Levitt. He is new to like the Seattle area in the late 90s. It's very Delia's catalog, uh, a lot of boot cut jeans, a lot of sketchy shoes. It's very of its time. He meets Bianca, who's played by Larissa Olenek. Uh, she's a sophomore, pretty popular, kind of vain. And Cameron immediately becomes aware of this huge problem um, that is going to kind of propel the plot for the rest of the movie. That being that he wants to ask Bianca out but her dad is super strict and won't let Bianca date until her older sister does, which brings us to Kat. So Kat is very much a Pacific Northwest Latter-day kind of riot girl. She has a reputation for being scary, very outspoken and feminist, which was apparently scary for some reason. She's an aspiring guitar player, desperately wants to go to Sarah Lawrence for college, and is currently beefing with her dad, who's reluctant to let her go. So Cameron comes up with a solution. They put together this sort of elaborate scheme that ultimately involves Payne Patrick, who's played by Heath Ledger, to date Kat. Um, all the while, Kat is totally in the dark. So Patrick, like Kat, has a little bit of a reputation for being scary. He hangs out at biker bars. There are rumors that he slept with a Spice Girl, and everyone is generally intimidated by him. This despite his incredible hotness, which I will probably mention a million times throughout this podcast. So Kat and Patrick fall for each other, paddle boating and paintballing. They really connect and they even end up going to prom together. There's a dramatic confrontation at prom, like all the best teen movies, and Kat learns the truth. Patrick has been paid to date her this entire time. So Kat storms out, reads a very bad, but very sweet poem in her English class that is clearly written about Patrick. And then he makes amends by gifting her the Fender Strat she's been eyeing. And they forgive each other. Kiss, swoon, credits roll. What do we think? It was hilarious. It was like really authentic the way that they showed their teen relationships when they finally kiss and she's in the hallway and they just kind of stare at each other awkwardly like smile and she continues to walk. That was really cringeworthy to watch but honestly in high school that's how it was. You didn't really communicate after big things happened like that. You were just kind of like okay I'm too terrified right now that we kiss that I, I don't even know if we should have a conversation. I thought it was really cute. The piece that spoke to me my parents were very strict and I came from a home where you're like like, you don't talk about boyfriends, you know, in, in some Mexican families, like if you don't know how to cook clean and wash your own clothes, like don't even think about boys, right? I felt like I was rooting for these two sisters because I remember what it was like to feel like you have to keep a love interest secret because you don't want to worry your parents. You don't want to get in trouble. You don't want to get grounded. Being a teenager really makes parents worry and stress. My family didn't even know about my boyfriend. I think I kept him a secret for like over a year. Um, they had no idea who he was. And um, in retrospect, luckily I was in a healthy relationship and his parents were very involved. 
Um, but my parents really had no idea. And it made me sad, you know, not being able to um, just share with them this person that I was getting to know that I really cared about. And um, because out of fear that they would tell me to break up with this person, embarrass me, stop me from seeing them. I think at that point in my life, I, that relationship was so meaningful to me that I probably, who knows what I would have done. I might've just run away. <laughs> who knows? I think that leads us to a really interesting question. This whole concept of abstinence only when we're parenting, is that effective or is it just going to push the kids away? Like you mentioned, Isaiah, about hiding your relationship and hiding what you're actually going through in your teen years because you're afraid of getting in trouble. Pregnancy pillow. She's like, you have to wear this before you go out just so you know what it feels like. So it's probably a little too far, huh? Probably didn't work. <laughs> it's a definitely a classic fear tactic for sure. I got to admit, I did that as an older sister. I did that to my youngest sister, just learning what I was taught, you know? And I was like, oh, it's your turn. Let's look at a book of STDs. And they were the images of the, like the, the last phase of like people just ignoring their symptoms. So I was like, if that doesn't work, <laughs> fear tactics. And I think that it's so important to have adult allies present in young people's lives so that they can process through those really complicated, hard situations that teens go through. You know, I've heard grown men talk about their experiences as young boys. And I've heard men like, oh, I know what boys are like because I was a young boy once, you know, and I, that always bothered me because why can't that be an opportunity for, for you to be vulnerable and have candid conversations with your young people about your experiences? And I know that it's important to, you know, to be careful with what you share about your, your personal experiences as a young person, experimenting in life, getting to know yourself, Self, but using those opportunities to teach your kids about mistakes that you've made, right? So that you don't make those same mistakes. And I just felt frustrated with that dad because I, I sensed that he was protecting, you know, because he was coming from a good place. It really felt like it was just control. He even went as far as prohibiting uh, the younger sister from, from dating and then also prohibiting the older sister from moving away for college. He wanted to be able to keep a close eye on her and, and, and protect her. I think that sometimes this mentality is often fear-based and they're just so scared of what might happen. So they're going to try to control, like you said, they control all of their actions with the hopes that nothing bad will ever happen to them. But I think that that's not always realistic. Yeah. The father, I, I didn't, what I saw from him was that he was just like a helicopter dad. I really was wanting the dad to, to just kind of come down to their level and, and talk openly about his real fears instead of just not talking about where these fears are coming from and just thinking that he can just say, nope, that's how it goes. And you, you live under my roof and these are the rules and it ain't going to happen. I feel like it does them a disservice because they're going to be in relationships eventually and parents should know who people are dating. They can help guide them, provide insight into their relationship. Something he said to her was like, you know, you're, she's like, you're just controlling my life. He said, you know, you're just 18. You won't, you don't even know what you want out of life until you're 45. We talk a lot about how parents, when they look at teen relationships, they assume 
like puppy love. They don't really have serious relationships. So they don't really experience, you know, the heartbreak and the commitment and that a marriage is experienced, for example. And so he's very dismissive, really minimizes, you know, the fact that they're becoming young women and they, at least that they want to explore. That's how we, we learn in life. We get to explore things with the guidance of our parents. And it just, I wanted to be like, what do you think is going to happen after 18? Like, you know, now they're going to be on their own and they won't have anything to pull from, like no open conversations with, with the father about dating and what kinds of red flags to look out for. And like, what is a healthy relationship? And then on top of that, the mom's not in the picture. And so it's complicated for single parents too, who don't have another person to model like a relationship in front of their kids. People don't realize like when you grow up and um, you're walking around eggshells around certain things, or you have a parent that's more controlling, those things are familiar to you. And when you start relationships, when you're older, when you continue having relationships when you're older, I truly believe that if, if you were to come across someone that had controlling tendencies, it might not even like come up as a red flag because you've kind of been shown that that's just that's how relationships work. Like when people worry about you, they contain you, put you in a box. You, you know, I think having trust and open and honest communication and, and building rapport, all those things are going to be skills that young people are going to be able to pull from when they get older. In the end, he turns out to be a, a nice guy. He's just, he wasn't ready to be a grandpa. <laughs> you know, I agree. Like dad and his whole parenting philosophy was totally off base throughout the movie. That being said, I have a lot more empathy for him now as an adult than I did as a child. I think he's well-intentioned, if misguided, and as like a fellow parent who's also sort of a self-admitted control freak and who tries to tone that down in the best interest of my child, I think that his ultimate goal in protecting his daughters is not completely wrong. What's wrong is how he goes about doing it. So I think it's alluded to at various points in the movie that his wife had left him at some point prior to the events. I'm not sure exactly when it happened, but we know that she's no longer in the picture. Like that huge breach of trust, like feeling of abandonment, I think is totally understandable. His problem is sort of projecting that onto his daughters. I am so terrified of like the rejection that I experienced when my wife left that I don't know what to do when my daughters become adults and naturally do the things that young adults do. And I'm going to be left here alone without them. So again, like I don't agree with his parenting philosophy, but I also really feel for him. And I just want to like give him a big hug and pat him on the back and say, everything's going to be all right. Yeah, I think that he definitely has a fear of empty nest syndrome. Bianca's younger. She's only a sophomore, but Kat mm -hmm. is getting ready to graduate. When she finds out she got into Sarah Lawrence, mm -hmm. she was so excited. He was like, wait, 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 that's across the country. Like, I thought you were going to stay local and go to college here like me and stay home. And she's like, no, we didn't decide that. You decided that. I think that's a really good example of how he's trying to kind of contain them, keep them home with him. And I'm sure it, a lot of it is out of love, but it's just showing up in not the best ways. He did at the end told her that he's, he paid for the first semester of college. And he said something like, you know, fathers don't, they don't want to admit it when their daughters are capable of running their own lives because it means that we become spectators. 
And he pointed out that um, Bianca, the younger sister, still lets him play a few innings. The oldest daughter, um, she was just in this place of owning. She was just in self-exploration and he was missing out. Like he was missing her, you know, even though they lived under the same house. So he was just trying to get close. Just hearing you describe that legit makes me feel myself tear up like it's so sweet and also so true to life it kind of showed through the younger daughter stood up for herself and Kat was like taking care of her the whole time and her dad's like I'm impressed because it just shows that they are self-sufficient right they can protect themselves so we have talked a lot about you know the role of parents and teen relationships and I want us to get into the the nitty-gritty of the relationship between Patrick and Kat this whole relationship was based off of this lie Patrick Heath Ledger's character was paid to take out Kat take that piece out just for a minute and talk about the relationship dynamics between them throughout that process he ends up falling for her she falls for him I feel like both of these characters really struggle with vulnerability they hide behind this kind of like tough unapproachable facade Kat has this reputation at school like Alyssa mentioned in the beginning of being scary and I think one of the terms was a heinous witch (laughs) which I feel like is pretty that's pretty extreme but she hides behind that she's like okay I am okay with people thinking that because I don't want to let people in I think he does the same thing like there are all these ridiculous rumors about him as well he hides behind that too because I think it's hard to let people in so Brene Brown has a definition of vulnerability she says that it is the uncertainty risk and emotional exposure vulnerability is not weakness it's our most accurate measure of courage are we willing to show up and be seen when we can't control the outcome and are we willing to create courageous spaces so that we can be fully seen so how important do you all think vulnerability is when it comes to relationships It's 100% necessary. And also, I am shocked that it's taken us three episodes to bring up Brene Brown in this podcast. I feel this is a long time coming, even if it's just been a short time. I don't think a healthy relationship can exist without vulnerability. And I say this as somebody who hates the feeling of being vulnerable with others. It takes me a long while to like get comfortable to the point where I can feel like I can really be myself 100% around somebody else. And I think for like Kat and Patrick in particular, there's that sort of like hesitancy to be vulnerable with each other. But I think they also both kind of try to simultaneously live up to these labels that other people have created for them, where they seem to have really internalized that. So when they first start dating, there's this sort of like giant brick wall in the middle of them. And once they like feel those walls come down, they have the chance to really like show this person who they are but then also like figure out who they are because I think they've been told over and over again this is who you are and they've just kind of like taken it as a given. Vulnerability is super challenging to do and you know that's why Renee Brown always says you got to lean into the being uncomfortable and being brave Uh, but is it easy? Is it like my favorite part about relationships? No it's it's challenging it's scary like let's be honest but it definitely makes relationships authentic and like you have real connections when you're really vulnerable with people and if you don't 
open yourself like that, then your relationship just isn't as authentic as it could be. And people are left with making a lot of assumptions. Like if without the vulnerability, you're giving off a certain energy and without being vulnerable and, and sharing where that's coming from and letting the other person know like what you're experiencing, you know, they're just receiving the energy and they're going to fill in the gaps and make assumptions and um, function from there. It just, it can get really messy and it's just so much more helpful and you waste less time when you when you know exactly what's going on internally with that person. I can share a story about vulnerability in relationships. This was back in my early 20s when I was still in college. And vulnerability at that point in my life was like not even a concept I was willing to explore at all. And so when, when it came to dating, you know, it was really all about just like putting forth this image that I wanted my partners to see of me. So I was dating this guy for probably, you know, three or four months. We were saying goodbye. I just like blurted out, I love you. I like didn't plan to say that. <laughs> and I was immediately embarrassed and I like immediately regretted it. And he just like looked at me and then I said, just kidding. <laughs> Oh, I can feel that deep in my soul. He just like looked so hurt. And just like, okay, bye. Like it was just like the idea of like burying my soul like that. I just wasn't ready for it. And I was so embarrassed. And so I just like, like rewind, let's take that back. And I think in the end ended up being more hurtful by saying, just kidding. Like what a cruel joke. It's really hard to hit the reverse button on vulnerability. Once the cat's out of the bag, it's there. So there's one moment in particular in this film that I think really exemplifies like the inherent discomfort and vulnerability. And that's right after Bogie Lowenstein's house party. Cat gets drunk. She has a really sweet conversation with Patrick and she pukes. He takes her home. She leans in for a kiss and he pulls back and basically says, maybe let's do this another time, which is the correct thing to do for two reasons. One, she had just ralphed like a half an hour before. There's got to be at least one teeth brushing session um, before you lean in for a kiss. Also clearly intoxicated um, and he didn't want to take advantage of her. But how does Kat react? She's totally embarrassed. She's really hurt. And so she pulls back and withdraws. So she definitely put herself in a vulnerable position, although she probably had some liquid courage, let's be real. And then he uh, he shut her down, which um, I would have ran away in that situation too, honestly. So right after that, you know, she kind of storms away from the car. She's really embarrassed. We kind of see this montage of scenes where he's trying to get her attention, trying to be kind of playful she totally denies having any feelings for him. I think that that was a perfect example of an opportunity where she could have been vulnerable and said, you know, I'm a little embarrassed about the other night, like when I leaned in for a kiss and you didn't, you know, reciprocate. And I'm just bummed about that. That would have been an opportunity for her to say that, you know, and I felt like in that moment, he said, well, what did I have an effect on? Which is kind of a vulnerable thing to say, like trying to have her open up a bit and she shut it down. Just going to that party for her was a really vulnerable thing for her. Even drinking, I feel like that was kind of out of character for her. And then she went like really hard and then she started dancing on the table, which as you could tell from everyone's reaction was definitely not like in her character usually at school. I feel like she was kind of trying to impress him and be like a badass kind of like how he is. It was definitely the first time in the movie where she was vulnerable. Can we talk a little bit about how he eventually like wins her back shortly after that scene? Like the grand 
stadium serenade. I remember thinking this was kind of corny as a child. And now like watching it as an adult, I'm like, no, that would absolutely win me over. I hate like big gestures like that, but I would make an exception. One, Heath Ledger totally sells it. He is adorable and charming and very vulnerable. Uh, That buzzword we're going to use a lot today. What did you all think? I loved it. In general, I'm not a huge fan of like grand gestures. I think that sometimes they're more ego driven than they really are for the other person. But in this situation, it just seemed so like tender and sweet. (laughs) And he got the whole band to to play along with him. So I, I was into it. Oh, I had like secondhand embarrassment for her, honestly. Like as soon as he started singing, <laughs> me and my partner were watching at the same time. And I was like, honestly, I would have slowly walked out of the stadium like backwards because like I definitely would not want all of that attention. It was really cute for a movie. In real life though, I would have like sunk into myself multiple times. Um, I, I have a feeling that for her that actually like him taking that risk um, was exciting for her. And why was security even chasing him? I'm very not clear on that. He's not doing anything (laughs) wrong. Like talk about like non-positive, negative, like adult ally failures. You should be holding up this example of teen love for the beautiful relationship it is, not tearing it down, not putting obstacles in their way. Totally. So shortly after that grand gesture, he definitely wins her over and they go on their first real date, which is very sweet. What is that called? Like paddle boating yes and honestly that's how you can tell this is a healthy relationship no first date should ever be paddle boating because it is a miserable horrible experience and 99% of couples are going to come away from it hating each other you're sweating it's just not like a very romantic environment and then they go immediately into paintballing which turns into a very romantic experience they have their first real kiss makeout sesh. He drives her home and they're flirting and um, opening up to each other. They're kind of dispelling these rumors that have been floating around about each one of them individually and saying whether they are true or false. And it's a sweet moment. And that's, I think, a vulnerable moment where they're able to kind of let their walls down a little bit and let each other into who they really are. But then there's this moment where she says, you know, well, where were you really last year? I know the porn career wasn't wasn't real. And he's like playful. And he says, oh, do you? But he kind of dodges the question. And then she says, so, you know, tell me something real, something true that nobody else knows. And again, he's like, I hate peas. And I feel like that's his way because he's he doesn't want to be vulnerable. I don't think he's ready for that yet. She's like, no, really. And then he totally deflects and he's like, you're sexy. And what do you say? You're sexy and you're totally hot for me. And I felt like he he totally deflected, but she so fell for it. She's like, okay. (laughs) But it wasn't until way later that he was able to revisit that conversation when he felt safer to do so. And he opened up and said, you know, actually my grandpa was really sick and I was taking care of him that year. During that moment, he asked her to prom and she's like, well, what's in it for you? Like, why do you even want to go? Like, but she feels like there's another motive. Like her gut feeling is like, there's something weird going on here. This never happens. So she asks him, you know, like what's going on? And he doesn't, doesn't say anything. He just acts like it's totally normal. He's getting paid this entire time. So it's all built on a lie. And even though he's like beginning to have feelings for her, he's still taking uh, the dude's money who's paying him. And he tries to say, hey, I don't really want to play your game anymore. Like, I don't want to take your money. I'm actually having feelings for her. Like, I just want to take her to prom, period. 
and then he offers him a hundred more dollars and he's like all right i'll take the money which in that moment i was kind of like oh why couldn't you just say no for an extra hundred dollars i guess a hundred dollars in the 90s you're gonna spend it on her anyways so that was pretty interesting what did you guys think about that part I think we can also trace that back to Patrick's sort of hesitancy to be vulnerable. If he accepts the money, then that gives them an excuse to continue to see Cat. Aside from, I just really care about this person. Uh, it almost gives him sort of an out to avoid the feelings conversation because he can just tell himself, well, like, I'm, I'm being paid to do this. This is why I'm here. I never thought about it like that, but that's totally true. He's like, oh, yeah, I don't have to be vulnerable. I just did it for the money. We find out that her gut instinct was right the entire time. It's kind of crazy to think, like, if he didn't take the bet, like, would they have ever been in the situation? Would they have ever really had this conversation? Sometimes it's good to trust our gut instincts uh, when it comes to her feeling like maybe he has separate motives because that was right. But then she had all these great experiences and they actually did fall for each other in the end. You know, so how many times does that happen in life where we're kind of hesitant to go with our gut. It's also all about the experience too, whether that could be good or bad. Yeah, I think that's a really good point because for me, it's like, is it my gut instinct or is it like trauma? <laughs> you know? Like, is it that I just like know deep down like the sixth sense that something's wrong? Or is it like my deep fear of abandonment, for example? Like I feel like with Kat, her mom left the family and she was clearly really wounded by that, right? Probably felt really abandoned by that. So her survival strategy was to just not let people in to begin with, you know, put her walls up. And then she's like, you know, if I don't let anybody in, then nobody can hurt me. In this situation, yeah, her gut instinct was right. He did have an ulterior motive. If it hadn't been true, she could have potentially lost out on a really great opportunity to get to know someone she's interested in. Yeah, it just goes to show how our trauma can really affect how we have relationships, how we communicate. You know, maybe when we have some trauma, instead of being really vulnerable and opening up to those relationships, we just push those people away as far as we can. And they have to be like super persistent, like he was the entire time trauma it affects our relationships in a lot of different ways and the better we know our trauma the better we can kind of navigate our relationships we, you know we mentioned earlier um you know we all believed at first that the mother had passed away but it turns out that she just left the relationship and so you know that trauma of being abandoned you know I'm assuming there wasn't any explanation I'm assuming um there's just a lot of unanswered questions um all they really know is that they were abandoned I could only imagine just your mom leaving and just still being alive, but like not communicating or participating in the family. I feel like that would almost be more traumatizing than just like your mom dying or something because that's a choice. And so that anger and frustration that Kat's feeling the entire movie, it totally makes sense. That fear Kat has of being vulnerable and putting in the work and the effort of you know, allowing someone to get to know you and giving yourself to them. Um, what's the point if people are just selfish? Like if your own mother selfishly left, why wouldn't anybody else, you know? So this telling yourself this story, uh, I'm just going to focus on me. I got my goals in mind. I can put up walls because relationships don't really matter, you know? And then along comes this boy that she allowed herself to be vulnerable a little bit around him and you know we she does learn 
the truth of how it is that he ended up pursuing her. And just a little bit about what we were talking about with the gut feeling. It's so when you don't listen to your gut, but you suspect something and the thing that you were suspecting comes true, it is so hard to one, forgive yourself. You're so hard on yourself. Like you let your guard down. You're mad at yourself. If somebody knows like how to tell the difference between gut instinct and trauma, will you please let me know? (laughs) Because that would be very useful information to have. Seriously. There's this psychologist on Twitter. Her name is Dr. Thema, I think. And she says, heal so you can hear what's being said without the filter of your wounds. Heal so you can see what is before you beyond the blinders of your wounds. And I feel like that's really powerful. Being able to heal from past experiences allows us to have some really amazing experiences. And even just being able to communicate about kind of what you've been through, like being vulnerable and sharing your past, that's a huge deal because then your partner can kind of see, oh, that's what you've been through. Like, that's where you're coming from in life. And these things might, you know, trigger you or you might react in some sort of way to these things. Um, A lot of times, like, for example, with my partner, like when he leaves, I need to get a text. Like you made it there, right? Because I'm like, I, in my mind, you left and then you died like eight times before you already got to the place. So now he knows, like, send me a text when he gets there. And because we have that communication, it's being vulnerable. It's totally irrational that I think you died eight times before you got to wherever you were going. But well, I feel like being able to communicate what you just said, Sawyer, about an area where you have some anxiety and you're like, this is this one thing you can do to help make me feel safer in the relationship and feel more secure. And I think that all goes back to like trust building. Totally. And communication and being vulnerable and, you know, honesty as well. Like the trust building for me, um, started when they went to that party, he wasn't drinking, he was there to, to see her and she was just like jumping around. Um, it's like, Hey, this is what people do at parties. So she just like took some shots of tequila way too fast and, um, was dancing on tabletops. He was, you know, going from room to room, kind of like keeping an eye on her, just making sure she was okay. And when she needed help and she was like falling over, he had her back you know, he got her water, all those little things. I think that that to me is a really great uh, moment where he shows that he's, he's someone that you can trust. Other moments where I think the space where they were debunking all these myths and stories about them, she's telling him all these things about her and everybody else labels her. The moment she's so smart and she's so, um, she's such a strong personality. And when she speaks up, Um, whether it's her dad or other boys at the school or even her teacher, everyone just labels her as just like problematic, angry, make assumptions about her. And he doesn't really label her. He just listens. He doesn't tell her what he thinks. You know, he just gives her space and you can tell in her eyes that she's, it's like refreshing, you know, because that's usually not the the feed. She always gets negative feedback that to me is help helpful for trust building he said something on their first date that i thought was really sweet you know he was like so what's your what's your excuse for acting the way we act you know with our walls up 
And she said, you know, why even try to meet their expectations when I have my own or something like that? And he's like, well, you made a mistake then because you never disappointed me. It was really sweet. It was really sweet. Yes. She said something like, if you don't want to live up to other people's expectation, only yours. And so you just give them little to expect from you. And that was so sweet. And you can tell that that like, I think she says a lot of things too for shock value. It didn't even phase him. I thought that the other relationships that are happening around in school, Joey, who's trying to sleep with um, the younger sister, there's definitely young boys out there that are, um, they just want to get laid. <laughs> you know, they want to be able to claim that they slept with the virgin. And in the meantime, here's uh, Patrick's character who's like taking her on these, these dates. You know, he never, um, he didn't rush physical relationship with her it wasn't until they went to the uh paintball scene that um i think enough trust had been built he it's like he knew that that was something that would be okay i think that he took his time and he didn't rush anything and they had plenty of conversations getting to know each other before they actually had like a physical connection because i gotta say i get excited in love stories when people like there's those love tackles, like look at each other and you like move their hair out of their face. And then you go in for the kiss. I live for that. <laughs> and You know, it could be really scary if you didn't really have a buildup of trust. That could be really problematic. Yeah, I definitely. And I hate this term 100, maybe 99.99% of the time. But I think it's actually a good descriptor for Patrick in this movie. He's kind of a gentleman. Um, where I get the sense that he like wouldn't kiss and tell. Cameron, I do not get that vibe from. I do not like Cameron. But Patrick seems like the kind of guy that if you're going to have a relationship like that with a high school guy, he's the guy to go to. He, he, he would be discreet. He would be caring and sensitive. I am team Patrick. Yeah, I think that he had his own kind of internal ethical dilemma, which speaks to his character because he was like, well, shoot, I'm being paid to take her out. Uh, you know, I don't want to take advantage of her. And it wasn't until he started to have feelings for her that he did end up kissing her back. And I think that that was once that trust had been built. And I think that he was able to justify it in his mind because he's like, well, I actually care about this person, despite the fact that I'm being paid. I think that Patrick makes a mistake at the very beginning of the movie by agreeing to be paid to take Kat out because I feel like it puts him in a really difficult position for him later in the movie where he cares about her as a person and then gets to the point like, well, do I come forward and tell her what's actually going on? Knowing that's going to hurt her. He's weighing his options. <laughs> like, do I just hope that she never finds out or do I tell her and potentially break her heart because I am confirming all of her worst impulses about yeah. me? And it implicitly breaks the trust in the relationship. And where do they go from there? For me, besides getting paid to take her out, I feel like it was a really healthy representation of, of just manhood in this film. She has her own voice. She's a really Really strong personality and the fact that he can come in not change her at all not tell her hey you're wrong or you should be doing this or I just think you're hot he actually participates in the chase of how you know she can be kind of difficult but he's willing to kind of play the game and the whole time he never tells her what to do he's always just there to to care for her but I don't know you know how you could kind of regain someone's trust after they take you on so many great dates and you guys actually do have a connection but the entire time he was kind of lying to you and getting paid 
that seems very wrong. Like, I don't know how I would bounce back from that. But I guess if there was a true connection there, like you would feel it. Maybe if you spent the money on you only, <laughs> it wouldn't be so bad. But I'm not sure. Do you guys think that you could regain trust after something like that? I would be like, okay, what part of all that was fake? And what part of it was real? And at what point, you know, in the timeline of our relationship? Like that would really mess with me. Yeah, I think it would be so hard not to question everything. Was any part of this real? And how am I supposed to believe that that's true? In this specific situation, the main lie was that he was paid to take her out. I I feel like this couple can come back from that because neither of them, I think, would have ever crossed paths had this not happened because neither of them were willing to be vulnerable. Neither of them were willing to put themselves out there. And so, yeah, it's a really crappy thing for him to have done and not a great way to start a relationship. But I feel like because he could honestly say, like, I truly care about you, money aside, that can help them regain that trust. I actually really liked the way that they showed conflict resolution at the end of this movie. feel like it was really straightforward for the most part. He knows that he's made a huge mistake, especially right at the very beginning of the prom scene. She says something that in retrospect, like just broke my heart where they get there and she says, I'm sorry for questioning your motivations. That was wrong which is a perfect apology. That's like the kind of apology we want to hear when somebody screws up massively. And it just hurts me because that apology she gave was totally unnecessary because his motivations should have been questioned because he got into it for the wrong reasons. Um, But then after that happens, like the big blow up at the prom occurs and she storms out and they eventually sort of like find their way back to each other. She gets really vulnerable and reads this sort of like heartbreaking, like teenage poem in front of her English class. And he goes out and he buys her the Fender Stratocaster that she has been eyeing throughout the entire movie. They don't have like a huge long conversation. It's really straightforward and to the point where they both kind of acknowledge we struggle with vulnerability. I really care about you. And then they kiss and there's this like sweeping shot of like their ridiculously beautiful high school. And it's really adorable. What did you all think about that resolution? I really, I really like that the, her sense of humor Dan at the end, you know, they kiss and she's like, you know, you can't buy me a guitar every time I screw up and so they got to chuckle about it so it was she's she's a strong feminist you know so she's like don't do that again I think her her humor coming back was like a sign that things were gonna be okay I liked the fact that he bought her the guitar using the money that he was paid to take her out I feel like that kind of came full circle kind of made a wrong more of a right I think accountability is such a huge piece to the puzzle, right? And I do think that Patrick in this situation took accountability for his actions. He kind of owned that he had messed up. He made it a right by buying her the guitar using the money. So I I liked how that ended. I really liked that Joey, the guy that the rich guy that was paying, he never got the girl that he wanted. He forked out a heck of money. It makes me feel good to know that Patrick it's not like he was like driving around and fancy, you know, people are like getting hooked up with money and all of a sudden they're like, or they're living the good life. I want to believe that, that she in the end was like, that's right. In the end, Joey got screwed. <laughs> we took his money. I got a new guitar. I got to meet this amazing guy, go to the prom and he never got to even get close to my sister. 
I know that she was also protecting her sister from Joey, uh, but without wanting to disclose that. That's how I visualize it. It's like in the end, Joey loses. And that is all I want. So what do we think? Is this relationship between Patrick and Kat healthy, unhealthy, or abusive? I think it's healthy. Me too. Sweetly healthy with some bumps in the road along the way, but ultimately healthy. I think I have to say that because the basis of their relationship was built on a lie, I have to say that throughout it was a little unhealthy because I feel like he was getting all of these tips on how to be the perfect partner for her, quitting smoking and going to this concert that he had no, he didn't really care about, like things like that. It wasn't totally honest or a true representation of himself. I think it was unhealthy, but turned healthy. I feel really good about the relationship at the end of it. Yeah, I feel the same way. Like, uh, obviously, having a relationship begin on a lie is pretty unhealthy. I think the way that he interacted with her was pretty healthy the entire time. Like, he was always for her. He never told her what to do or made her feel bad about herself. He was always trying to empower her in some way. I think that when they finally get together in the end and he does give her that true apology that the relationship goes from the unhealthy side of the spectrum back to the healthy side. So after the credits roll, what do you think happens to Patrick and Kat? Is this like a soulmate type scenario? Are they together forever? Do they break up? What do you all think? And like, keep in mind that your answers to this question are probably going to break my heart. I think that um, she goes to college, takes her guitar, realizes that she rather play music and focuses on that. And then Patrick finds her doing a performance somewhere. And then she like spots him in the audience and, and then they live happily ever after. All of that, except she gets her degree and she becomes <laughs> a successful musician. <laughs> I definitely think he would follow her to college. She would be like the successful one with her degree and like the career. And then he would just be loving her the entire time. Now I feel bad because my vision of where this relationship ends is actually going to be the most pessimistic. I think that they're both smart, like self-aware characters. They're going to enjoy that summer. They're going to have so much fun together. And then I think even though they love each other very much, they both know that at this moment in time, they're just not meant to be together right now. So they amicably break up. There's lots of tears. There's lots of like sad uh, late 90s alt music listening in dark bedrooms. She goes to college and then maybe they like cross paths later in life. Not at a high school reunion. Neither of these characters are ever going to a high school reunion. But maybe they meet in a bar or something. They might hook up, revisit like their, their childhood relationship and part ways. Um, maybe they do end up together the rest of their lives. But I definitely think they break up at the end of the movie. They're both like really strong independent characters that could just survive on their own. Like they, they're not very codependent on each other. I could see them supporting each other in their own successes. They like see each other on Facebook like 10 years later. Whenever like something pops up and that person is doing good, they always think like, good for them. I'm happy that person is doing well. Awesome. Well, this has been really fun talking about 10 things I hate about you. Thank you all for listening. And we would love to hear what you think. Do you think that our analysis was accurate? Do you disagree with anything? Let us know. Last but certainly not least, we'd like to thank one of our sponsors, Dutch Bros Chico. In addition to their ongoing support through our Evening with Catalyst fundraiser, they've also supported our volunteers through Volunteer Appreciation Week, as well as our staff. Just recently, they dropped off some hot coffee to get our Monday morning off on the right foot. 
Thanks, Dutch Bros. If you'd like to volunteer or donate, visit our website at catalystdvservices.org. Get connected with us through our Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn at Catalyst DV Services. Thanks for listening.